Mac Power Users, episode 447, Workflows with Zach Hall. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm great, David. How are you? Excellent. Um, we have a guest today. Welcome to the show, Zach Hall. Hey, how are you? Zach is one of my favorite ink-stained wretches in the Apple uh, writing you know, racket. Is, is that a compliment? Is that? I think so. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. I'll take it. Yeah, why not? He's over at nine to five Mac, um, uh, where he is the lead editor and also the co-host of the nine to five Mac happy hour podcast. Zach and I spent a little time together at WWDC this year. I don't know how he did it because the guy gets so many stories out. I don't, I figured he'd just say, I can't talk to you. I have to go, <laughs> <You know? laughs> but we did talk a little bit. We had a good time and uh, we're going to talk to him today about the work he does and as this show publishes just a few days before the Apple event, we're going to have a little bit of final prognostication. I need to have a conversation with Zach since he um, um, uh, totally scooped Mac Power user and the rest of the Internet this week uh, with the pictures <laughs> on the iPhone. But we're going to talk about that later. Uh, before we do so, just a quick check in. Um, uh, the uh, the the I just look the number of people logging in to uh, talk.macpowerusers.com is is insane. I'm so happy. Thank you everybody for joining in on the forums. I think it's been a successful transition, and if you haven't done it yet, you should head over to talkmacpowerusers.com and sign up. And also, I just want to thank everybody that went and signed up for the uh, courses over at learn.macsparky. Uh, it's just really humbling to see how many listeners went over and signed up. I know a bunch of you came from the show because uh, we talked about it on the show before I put the official newsletter out, and I, I really appreciate all the support. If you haven't yet, there's a lot of free courses there, so go sign up and, and check out some of the free stuff, including the workflow one. Um, but enough self-promotion and aggrandizement. Let's talk to Zach. Hey, y'all. Hey, Zach. Um, what... How did you get into this gig? Because I, I had, I have to admit, I just started reading your byline at nine to five Mac a few years ago, and now I just you're prolific now. Yeah, so uh, it started in 2013, and and this is the longest job I've had. So 2013 to 2018. Now uh, I'm, I'm 27. Before this job, I worked in an Apple store for a couple of years, and my first job in high school was was at Sears. So. Um, a short resume, but this is, this is the thing I wanted to do. What department in Sears? Electronics. Okay. I, so I, mean, I, I, I sold TVs and, and learned, uh, at the time it was, um, you know, flat panel LCDs and then LED came out and I got to learn the difference in 720p and 1080p at the time and refresh rates and, and really all stuff that eventually comes back to be relevant. Um, but you know, kind of a fitting job for where I ended up. Yeah. So, but then you leverage that into, uh, Apple. Indeed. Yeah. I just always kind of followed my interest and in having a little bit of luck get me where I want to be. Um, but just, just doing what I'm interested in and talking about it with people like you guys and, you know, just building relationships that way. And one thing leads to another. Um, I, I, I went to, actually went to school for one year at the university of Southern Mississippi and, um, ended up moving and then working at the Apple store for a couple of years um, but I went to school for journalism and took a few journalism classes, but ultimately I wanted to write, write the news in, in a way that I am. Um, but it was the, the 2008 election that really got me interested in, in majoring in journalism in the first place, which I didn't finish doing, but then doing a job like this. And, um, 
you know, and I kind of attribute that to growing up. My my grandparents watched the evening news regularly. I grew up watching Dan Rather. And so I've always had a fascination for the news and, and telling stories about what's going on. Um, but for that, um, for that major, you needed to have a, a MacBook Pro for a few classes that required iMovie. And growing up, I, di- I didn't have a lot of money growing up. And I never had an Apple product until I was 17. I got an iPod Nano. And um, I had friends with iPods, but it was just always kind of our you know, income level, I guess. Um, but for college, my grandma bought me a MacBook Pro because it was required. And I just kind of got really into Apple at the time because of the MacBook Pro and spent all summer with it, obsessing over it. Um, and then the iPhone 4 leaked uh, when I was in college. And that got me really into reading these Apple news sites. Uh, you know, Gizmodo had that. But I was reading TV reviews on CNET because it made me you know, better at my job to be able to talk about what people think about different TVs. And they also covered Apple News and they had some podcasts that I'd watch. And um, just that that merge of interest from just the news and politics to Apple and technology, you know, from from TVs and the mix of all that got me interested. And um, when I worked at the Apple store, uh, I took some time off to take care of my grandmother. She had cancer and I got to be her caregiver for her last year. Um, and in my spare time, I wrote um, a satire site that I called not nine to five Mac.com. And, um, <laughs> really? Mark Grumman had gotten in touch with me ar- around that time. And the publisher of nine to five Mac, Seth Weintraub said through him, I liked what you're writing, but not the name, please change it. So there's no confusion. And so I called it Apollo report, just, just an idea. And, um, it was just like satire, you know, like fake Apple news, kind of the onion style. Um, and I was really writing it just for Mark Gurman as like entertainment, you know, I'd write a headline, he'd get a kick out of it and share it with nine to five Mac and, you know, show me screenshots of what they'd say about it. Some of which I've saved just to remember, you know, the origin. Um, and then one thing leads to another and they, and they offered me a job doing copy editing, just reading what people write, making sure it's, it's well-written, um, before it goes out. And that was 2013. Since then, you know, Mark Gurman went off to go to Bloomberg other people have kind of moved around and, and just through sticking with it, I've, I've risen to be lead editor and, you know, we've got a really great team and I'm happy to, to be a part of it. Um, but it, it's, it's really neat to be able to kind of make some decisions about what headlines are and what we're going to cover and, you know, come up with new ideas for what we, what we direction we go in. So. I, you know, as, so you kind of started with Mac as kind of an adult or, you know, sure, sure. You know, and it's fun looking back on it. Cause I remember when I was a kid, um, the Mac was really the first user inter graphical user interface I was exposed to. There was a Atari had an, the ST that was the Atari ST and I think Commodore, there were a couple different competitors, but I remember getting my first Mac and just obsessing over every piece of the control panel, you know, going through, and looking at every control, how it worked in every setting and stuff. I, I would imagine, did you have that experience when you found yourself on a Mac for the first time? For me, it was GarageBand, which was an app that I always wanted. And this was before GarageBand for iOS, where it was a little bit more accessible. Um, but you needed to spend, you know, around $1,000 to have GarageBand on a, on a standalone, you know, laptop. And um, when I had a PC, I would theme it out like a Mac. And I would use Audacity and um, maybe even like a pirated version of Fruity Loops at the time to try and, as a hobby, record guitar and, and, and um, you know, some piano. 
just just for fun. And that's where I got obsessed over over the Mac was I finally had a Mac for college, but as a hobby, I could use GarageBand. And I spent that whole summer before classes started learning GarageBand and like Googling and looking on YouTube for how to do certain things. And I wrote about this for Stephen Hackett in his 512Pixels newsletter recently. But that experience later on, I started editing the podcast for 9to5Mac. And suddenly I was pulling knowledge from a hobby I had to a job that I had no idea I I would need. Um, But it was just like natural for me at the time, you know. Because yeah. of that hobby. It's funny how that works. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't know if we do it subconsciously or if just the world the universe finds a way to throw us at things that we love, but it sounds like it worked for you. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, so Mark Gurman brings you into nine to five Mac, you start working and I'm guessing now you have more than just a MacBook pro and an iPod. Yeah. Um, when I wrote that, that, that piece for Stephen Hackett's newsletter, um, I felt a little bit like the perspective of no, of writing about my, it was my first Mac, which was the 2009 MacBook pro 13 inch, um, writing it all down and and realizing that like six years later, I would review the, the, the 12 inch MacBook, like, you know, on, on a site with some authority to it. I kind of felt like I was a little bit of a fraud. Like I've only used Max for six years and here I am writing about it. Um, Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Right. I think about like Walt Mossberg, you know, who's kind of a hero and how his, his, you know, treasure is writing about technology, not at an advanced level, but about the way people approach it. And, And that makes me feel better. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just a customer and I'm really excited about these products. I know how to use them. I explore like every option of what I can do. But that that gives me the knowledge to to write about it and, and feel good about it. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason why we named the show Mac Power Users, because we're not programmers. We're not engineers. We're, we're power users. And, and that allows us to have our own perspective, which I think is more accessible in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. The, uh, so what gear do you have these days? So uh, last year was a little bit more exciting. I had uh, the, the 5K iMac. And I had a 12 inch MacBook and this year I decided I, I want to try just working for my MacBook. So currently the only Mac that I own, um, and I've, and I've sold a lot of them in the past. Um, but the only Mac that I have is, is the, the 2017 base model 12 inch MacBook. And, um, and, and it's, it's neat perspective because I can do everything I could do before, but on that machine, um, the single port thing gets me sometimes, um, the fact that I can't use any adapter really and get two USB-C ports. Um, but, but like functionally though, I'm able to do everything that I, that I do. I can do on my iMac, but with, with that MacBook. That's impressive, honestly. Uh, and, and for the past 30 days or so, I've had the, the 2018 MacBook Pro 15 inch, um, the i9 model, the six core with 32 gigabytes of RAM. The freezer, the freezer model. Right. And so that's the other end of the MacBook spectrum. And um, the reason I have this is it's a review unit from Apple. And I actually realized today it was due back two days ago. So I'm I'm borrowing a little bit over time, but I've not written about it yet. But um, it's it's been neat because I can do everything faster, but it's not so much faster. Like I've clocked my times when, when editing a podcast and watching everything process and the wait times. The differences are, are a matter of seconds, not like tens of minutes. Um, and, and so it's it's given me comfort in, in my own MacBook. And for the first time, I'm thinking, you know, I might have enough technology and speed to do my job without needing to upgrade every single year. 
And uh, because I, when these MacBooks Pro, these MacBook Pros came out, I had some envy, and I almost like bought impulsively on the day they they arrived. Um, but having gotten to test one, it's kind of given me perspective. You know that 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 new feeling has worn off over a month, and now I've just I can compare apples to apples. Really, what what's the most uh, you know high end or processor crunching task you're doing on your 12 inch tweet deck <laughs> that, <laughs> really? that is a ram intensive app uh and the, i've been vocal on twitter about the demise of, of the twitter api as it were and tweet you know at twitter limiting tweet tweet bot um which was really crucial to my workflow of like having my timeline stream new tweets arrive in as they were sent out um but i've had to resolve resort to tweet deck uh since then so I have a streaming timeline. I can watch news as it breaks and follow a story as it happens and share it with readers. Um, but if, if I ever look at my CPU usage and my RAM usage, it's always TweetDeck. It'll use as much as you you give it. Um, but aside from that, we we published a, a weekday podcast called 9 to 5 Mac Daily every weekday. And that's a two-minute, three-minute podcast. So it's really fast to edit and process. And uh, <laughs> even the difference in the 12-inch MacBook and the, the 2018 MacBook Pro even that was faster, even though it's not very much time at all. But aside from that, it's editing the the weekly nine to five Mac Happy Hour podcast, and um, but it's just a matter of seconds difference, not you know waiting several minutes. And so in, in the difference in processing time, I can write the show description and you know multitask and while the computer's working. Um, so there's nothing functional that I can't do on the 12 inch MacBook that that I can do on the on the MacBook Pro. Yeah, if if the difference is a question of seconds, then I think then you're fine. I mean, I, I, I upgraded to, uh, I had the original iMac, the 5k iMac and I upgraded to an iMac pro, but I do a lot of video stuff and it, it, it saves me like 45 minutes sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy how much time it saves for video rendering. Yeah. Je- Jeff Benjamin, our, uh, our video guy has got a, an iMac pro and I'm sure he'll have a Mac pro as soon as they, they come out. But they, but so, but I was just trying to figure out, you know, if someone's listening at home and the biggest thing they do is tweet deck or in your case, it sounds like like audio editing is probably the most um, processor intensive thing you're doing. Yeah. And, and on a, on a day-to-day basis of, of often like for stories, I'll have, you know, 20 tabs open or more. And, um, and, and part of my workflow is I've got a folder saved of, of sites that I check every day, you know, whether it's an Apple support document looking for news or something else that gets very RAM intensive. And, and the one mistake I made on this, this 12 inch MacBook is it only has eight gigabytes of RAM and you can actually do 16 gigabytes of RAM in the 12 inch MacBook. Yeah. Built to order. Yeah. Right. And, and I should have done that because I, I eat through that RAM, you know, often with, with a lot of Safari tabs. Um, and, and that's something that you can feel a big difference of the more RAM you have. What about from the perspective of just connecting everything? Do you use your stuff with, with any peripherals or external displays or things like that and how the one port impacts that? Yeah, so so with the 12-inch MacBook, I've got the super overpriced adapter that Apple sells um, to give you USB-C for power, HDMI that I don't use, and then USB-A. And I plug my microphone in with that so I can charge and record a podcast for several weeks. I didn't even do that. I just plugged in the microphone with no power. And and I later told my co-host, Benjamin Mayo, that I was doing that. And he kind of freaked out, like, you could have lost everything. Um but uh, the first time we had a, a longer episode, you know, I think it was a lot of times we do like Apple event episodes and they're like three hours long. Um, usually it's one hour. But for that one, I had to make sure I bought an adapter and could could power my MacBook throughout. Um, other than that, you know, the, the kind of the world they promise of wireless, I, I can get by 
that way. And I use AirDrop all day long, you know, screenshotting from my iPhone or my iPad and, and, um, and sending the, the screenshot over to the Mac. Um, that, that, that helps. Cause I used to, I guess I used to plug in wires that way and do it, but with the AirDrop, that's, it's gotten really reliable lately. Um, and other than that, I mean, I'm just charging it and that's really it. I, I have an adapter for SD card. So I take a photo for a review or something and that's just like unplugging it for a moment, importing photos and then powering it back up if I need to. Um, the thing I, I kind of miss from having an iMac on my desk all the time is just always having my microphone plugged in. And so if I go to sit down and podcast, I don't need to, to plug it up. It's just always there. Um, and I would also plug in, like I've got a, um, just as a hobby, I play guitar still. And I've got a guitar pedal that I that can record, you know, connect to the, to the Mac. And now I just kind of plug it up as I need it. But um, I, I wouldn't mind having at least one more port. So the, see, for me, the, the lack of the big screen would drive me nuts. I am so spoiled by this 5K screen. Do you miss that at all? Uh, so my screen is usually one column of my Twitter timeline and as narrow as I can make it. And then the rest of it is Safari or whatever else I'm working in. And so it's Safari or Pixelmator Pro or some other app on, the, on, the, on most like 80% of the screen. And then the rest being Twitter in some way, whether it's TweetBot or TweetDeck. Um, and so uh, with the, the 12 inch MacBook, I can do that and show the nine to five Mac homepage at, at the full enough width that I need it to be. Um, the, the nice thing about having a bigger screen, like even having the 15 inch, I've been able to do two Safari columns side by side as needed. Like if I'm writing a story and referencing something else online. Um, but even then I'm, I'm making adjustments to the, to the window size. So it isn't like too full with windows. And when I had the 5K iMac, the 27-inch iMac, um, I kind of had too much space that I needed. So I saw a lot of my wallpaper, which was nice. And at one point, I even had the 5K iMac and the LG, the LG Ultrafine 5K display. And it was just, I had more space than I needed. And, um, you know, it was nice to move windows around and everything, but but it, I, I don't have to have it. And, and I've adapted on the 12-inch MacBook, you know, at the, the default resolution even to fit everything that I need. No, I, I get it. I like the idea of simplification. I just, it's impressive that you can do it with a 12 inch MacBook. Yeah. I, I got to say, I'm really curious about what this rumored, you know, the rumor is that it's a budget MacBook Air replacement. Um, although one of the prices they, they floated was like 12 or $1,300, which is not really budget priced. Um, but I'm really curious about that machine. Like if it has the thinness and the wedge shape of the MacBook Air, but maybe an extra port or two, you know? Retina display, hopefully. Yeah. In, indeed. If it has all those things, like something between the 12-inch MacBook and the MacBook Pro, I think might be for me. And so I'm really curious about that later this year, if if that's something I've, I'm kind of dreaming about. Now, now, what about the iPad? Does that play a role in your uh, your work at all? Um, I mean, my main use of the iPad is to... Like sometimes I think about not having an iPad, you know, uh, but I need it for work so I can review iPad apps and know what the pencil is like. Um, but the main thing is if a new iOS beta comes out, being able to try it on the iPad and look for things that are that are new. Um, I don't use the iPad for work. I've written a few stories from the 12.9 inch Pro when that was brand new. Um, but but I guess the tools that we use for work, it's really tricky to fit all that onto the iPad without compromise. Um, and without asking my, my Mac coworkers to kind of pick up some slack for me. So I've not been able to do that. Um, but I'm also comfortable enough on the Mac now. And there's things that I just rely on there 
that I don't feel bad about it. And so I'm, I'm perfectly happy using the iPad to watch video and, and look at photos and, and browse the web. Um, I don't feel like I need to fit work into it. And so for that, you know, in that way I can use it as like my TV on the treadmill or something, you know, and, and have fun with it. Yeah. I always feel bad. I get an email from a listener that says, Hey, you know, I don't really use the iPad and you know, I'm, but I'm really trying to figure out how to, I'm like, if you want to, you, you should do that. But I'm not trying to tell people that you have to use it. You know, I mean, if you're, if, if everything's working for you, you don't necessarily have to change anything. But I'm a nerd, so I can't help myself. I'm always trying this stuff out. My, my first uh, iPad was iPad 2, and, and I thought I could not use a Mac ever again and, and have, you know, just the iPad, um, feature of computing. And, and it didn't really stick. And, and every generation I try and, and do that, you know, nothing's changed so much that, that I think I could, could do it now. Um, but I, I do have an iPad. I keep one on my desk, you know, all the time. Yeah, I feel like iOS was it iOS 10. No, I guess it was iOS 11 where we got the file management stuff. That made a huge difference for me. That that's one of the biggest changes. And then, how about on your phone? What are you using for your uh, your phone? iPhone 10. Yeah. If, if iPhone 4 was my first iPhone, and I've had every iPhone since then, including going from the 4 to 4s. So, so this show is publishing on Sunday. They announced it on Tuesday. So it's just two more days until your iPhone 10 turns into a pile of garbage. Yeah, and I keep telling myself that for the first year <laughs> I won't up, upgrade. But who am I kidding? Yeah. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Daylight. Daylight is the Mac CRM that takes your business further. Daylight helps you nurture relationships, close more deals, execute your plans and projects, and scale your business all in one app. Most CRMs help you manage people and are focused on closing deals, but Daylight takes you through the full customer lifecycle. From nurturing new prospects to following up and closing the deal, through completing your projects on time and building repeat business and referrals. Daylight is a true Mac app, letting you work offline, integrating seamlessly with your Mac and Apple Mail. With all your emails, relationships, schedules, opportunities, projects, and tasks, all in one place, your whole team has what they need, when they need it, all the time. See your deals progress and streamline your processes with pipelines. Track what needs to be done and by who so you can meet every project deadline. If you're tired with a patchwork of apps to manage your business, tired of forgetting to follow up with people, tired of losing out on business or missing deadlines, check out Daylight. It is an excellent all-in-one solution and they've been around for a long time. And be sure to mention you heard about Daylight through the Mac Power users to get 50% off your first month subscription. There are a lot of Mac Power users out there using Daylight every day to run their businesses successfully. Why don't you become one too? So once again, head over to marketcircle.com and check out Daylight. And make sure you let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. So Zach, you're on a um, you're on a, a really an Apple News team. I mean, you guys cover a lot of stories, keeping up with the latest in Apple News. Let's talk a little bit about how you get all that done. Sure. Yeah. So. Um and we've got other sites, so 9to5Mac, 9to5Google, Electric, which is a Tesla and, and green energy, 9to5Toys, which is a deal site. And That, that uh, site, by the way, causes me a lot of trouble. I just I want know. you to know. <laughs> I had to follow it a little, little less close because it got expensive. <laughs> um, but you do save money. You just you end up buying things that you, you might not have bought otherwise. And then uh, Drone DJ is, is our newest site, and that's all about the world of drones. Um, and, and each of these sites, as, as they come online, Seth Weintraub is, is the, the genius behind all of them. 
I'm, I'm always skeptical of like, do we really, is there room for a drone site? Is there enough interest? And then somehow it's like getting serious traffic and, 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 you know, it's, it's a grown up site. Like it's real. Um, but, uh, when I first started, we would all kind of cross write on, you know, I'd write on 95 Google sometimes, like really daily. And in recent years, each site has grown on their own to where I don't, I'm not even in the, the 95 Google Slack room anymore, like I used to be. Um, and so we've kind of got our, our own sections, you know, within Slack of, of, of for each site. Um, but, but my day starts out, uh, I, I used to work the hours of nine to five uh, Eastern time. And um, I moved to Central now, so I work eight to four, but it's, it's really routine. I wake up, um, I, I log on to Slack, you know, check in with the team. We all see kind of what's going on, um, you know, and, and we're working in Slack. There's, there's a uh, look today, there's like 39 of us across all the sites total. Um, and, um, you know, we, we have story ideas. We have, um, you know, stories we've written. We, we edit each other. We've got a couple of copy editors in the, in the daytime and then one in the evening. So everything that we write has someone read over it. Um, we bounce ideas off of each other and we're, it, it's, it's a feel good thing because we're all pretty good friends. Like even after work hours, we'll I message back and forth and, you know, get to know each other. And, um, you know, it's, it's neat working remote. We've all, we've all, most of us have all met in person, you know, for different events like CES or an Apple event or something. Um, but it, it doesn't feel like working, working remote. And I think the kind of Apple community, including, you know, on Twitter helps with that. Is it a, um, now do you guys do, cause you can talk about Slack to kind of talk to each other, which is a great, you know, team tool for stuff like that. I always feel like it falls down a little bit in terms of like project management and assignment and things like that. Do you, uh, do you manage that stuff through Slack or, or how do you, you know, like if you have two or three ideas for a story, how do they get assigned out and does a responsible person, you know, let you know that they finished it? Sure. We, we use a wonder list, I guess that's how you say it. And, and they recently got bought by Microsoft, I guess about a year ago. And we tried Trello as well. Um, we're still kind of on one list. We haven't really moved away yet and found a, a solid replacement for it yet in case it goes away. But um, that's kind of something where we, we've used to communicate whether we've reached out to a company and requested a review unit of our products so we don't make the same request. Um, if there's a story that we know will be for a certain date, we, we'd put it there. But we've relied on that, I guess, a lot less over the past year. And it, it's mostly communication in Slack, um, you know, pinning some messages that are important. Um, before an Apple event, for example, though, you know, we have a pretty good idea of what will be announced. And so we'll say, you know, first off, look at the schedule and see who's going to be around on that day. And it's usually the same group of people. And, um, you know, I'll make like a Google doc, for example, and we'll say, this is the Apple event for September, 2018. And we expect X, Y, and Z, and then have all these other topics involved and say, you know, uh, up for grabs, who wants to cover what? And it's kind of out of interest, you know, if the Apple Watch is your thing, then you'll want to write about that. Um, and and from there, you know, as, as the event unfolds, we watch the event and we know immediately Apple Watch time, you know, Tim Cook comes out, introduces Apple Watch, and then, you know, Phil Schiller shows it off or something. And we already know who's, who's writing that part of the event. Um, and so that makes the events really smooth. And then if there's like a surprise within the event, you know, um, then, then someone we'll either pitch it as this is a, a standalone story that hasn't been assigned yet, or someone will, will volunteer and say, I've got that already. Um, and, and because we work together every day, we've just got a pretty good feel, um, you know, for, for kind of protocol and how things go. And so it goes really smooth. even so, with Slack. 
so like, you know, every September there's going to be a story on, you know, what's new with the iPhone camera, you know, how did the iPhone camera improve? Like every year we get that, right? So you can have that assigned out, but then if you show up and there's something, you know, they added a, you know, a hover, a hoverboard to it, then you have to assign that out to somebody else. I guess a pretty good example is the programming language Swift that was announced at WWDC a few years ago. That was the curveball for everybody. Um, and, you know, Benjamin Mayo was one of our writers and he's a developer. He, he makes the 95 Mac iOS app, for example. And so I think we, I'm pretty sure if we look back, he would have written that story because it's a developer story. He knows how to write it the best. And, and we just kind of accept that, you know. Okay. And then for your own work, how do you get it done? You know, this, so you you pick up a few of these stories yourself. What's your uh, what's your key apps, and how do you get that done? Sure. So uh, for my personal like stories that I, I think of myself or kind of know that that need to be written, and I want to do them, you know, we'll, we'll communicate it through Slack. But I use the app Things, the Task Manager Things, to just come up with story ideas on the spot. If, if I if I think of a story, something I want to write about, whether it's from a personal experience or something. Um, Honestly, the kind of fastest thing I do is I use Siri and it works with things using Siri kit. And so I'll say, you know, Siri using things, add Apple watch cadence running to my stories list and it'll go in there. And then, you know, as the news kind of slows down, I can look at my stories list and think, you know, what is it that I want to get out, get out today? It's in my head and I want to write it down and share with readers. And, um, it goes from that way. And then we, we write, um, I think we all write differently. Some of us use apps for writing. I mostly write directly in WordPress, which sounds dangerous, but it's less scary as it, than it seems. Yeah, you know, you told me that before we start recording, and just the thought of you writing a story uh, in the browser <laughs> just that terrifies me because I have lost things in the past where you, you know. Uh, so for those of you out there who aren't running uh, a website, like. Uh, most of these website systems have a place where you can do the the writing on the web, you know, connected to the internet. You can write whatever it is you want. It's your blog post or your story or whatever. But if, if sometimes things go wrong on the internet and suddenly you lose all that work and you've got to type it over again. So I've always typed outside of like, I write my, my stuff in Ulysses and then it doesn't go into Squarespace, which is my platform until towards the end, but you're, you're writing there from the beginning. And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, how, how much have you lost that way? Zach? Right. So I've got a, um, a bookmark that I, I call Mac admin just for nine to five Mac, you know, the admin panel. And from there I, I click into the, you know, add new post. And it, it, to me, it's just the fastest way to get a story up. So if it's breaking news, I can get a headline and image and a little bit of text there and publish really fast. Yeah, it's definitely faster. You're right. If it's something long form, even long form, I've found that I can, I can write it, save it, come back to it, you know, as needed. Uh, and I just, I don't do well with writing in separate apps. A lot of our writers on Identify Mac do use like Bear or Ulysses or different apps like that. Um, I just always feel like if it's not in WordPress, it's close. It, it's further from being published than if it's in WordPress. And, I, and I'm just slower at, at actually getting around to it, I guess. Um, the only time I've had issues with, with losing work was years ago. Um, for whatever reason, the Apple Magic Mouse, I would, I would miss swipe. And going from left to right on the, the touch service of the Magic Mouse would, would go back in, in Safari. It would be a back gesture. And years ago, you would, you would lose your work that way. Now, whether it's, it's Apple's side or Safari or, or, or WordPress, they fix that. And they give you a, an alert that says, do you really want to leave page? And you can say no, and it'll take you back to where you, you go. But visually, you do go off of the page 
for a moment that way. And it still kind of freaks me out sometimes. But I, I do a lot of command S, which I think saves like a local cache of, of what you're writing. And then um, I, I do a lot of save draft, like as, I'm, as I get through the story. So I, I kind of treat it like a word processor, but in the old days when you needed to save all the time on the Mac. Um, but it's just this is on Safari. The Microsoft Word trick, you know, every every sentence, command S. Command S is just a reflex now, right? Yeah, yeah this. That was good training when I was doing a lot of uh, iBooks author stuff. It was the same thing. And in fact, towards the end in iBooks author, you have to hit command S after every every change. If you just add a comma, command S, <laughs> because you never know. Um, but so that's impressive. I, I, you know, I just I haven't tried it for a long time. I, I did get caught in that bug you were talking about where you would accidentally swipe and and go back a page. You need to lose everything. But I just. Just, you know, just once or twice losing data that way made me hate the idea so much that I don't know that I could write in the, um, uh, write in the, I could write in the, on the web like that. It would just freak me out too much. It's like a, when you put a Californian in a place like Chicago, that's all brick buildings. And we just look kind of panicked as we're walking around because we're used to earthquakes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's my impression of trying to write on the web, but it works for you now. Right? Maybe. Yeah. That's- and. and- I have had like try Mars edit. I've I've purchased Mars edit before, and I, and I've I've connected it to to our WordPress before. Um, but I've just I've never actually written and published a story that way. I, I love the idea of the app and having like a local Mac app for WordPress. Um, but I've I've never published that way before. I've, I've always published from WordPress. Um, I, I do headline writing in Byword just so I can open up a blank like white text document, and I just think it looks better than text edit, like the way it's formatted. Um, and I'll write, I'll put in like, you know, what our headline is and then I'll play around with it and think about what it, what it needs to be for different reasons. And, um, you know, usually I can come out with a, with a better headline that way, just by having a blank space that's not WordPress. Um, and I think the biggest reason for that is that in, in WordPress and our CMS, the, the headline space, you can't see the full headline. And I've just gotten in the habit of putting it somewhere else to see the full headline and then do a comparison. I don't know. Is ByWord actively developed anymore? I, you know, I see it do updates. I feel like, I feel like ByWord is pretty much feature complete. I've seen ByWord do updates like when they need them, but I don't know that we're seeing a whole lot of, um, of, um, of, of changes or feature adds to it, but I, I don't know that they really need it. Yeah. I mean, the, the app still kills it. My wife does almost all her writing in ByWord. I put her on it like, I don't know, five years ago or something. And she, it's, it's stuck for her. That's where I still do all my writings too. Yeah, the last big change to Byword, I think, was they added publishing from the app as like a separate purchase. And I've, I've never needed that either. Like the idea of publishing from an app to WordPress kind of freaks me out. I feel like when I'm in the CMS, I know exactly what's going to go out. But if I run it through an app, I'm not quite sure what it will look like on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Closer to the metal. Indeed. Um, the, uh, now you said you use things, Katie and I are OmniFocus users. So tell us a little bit more. How, so how do you manage that? Is it a project or, how, you know, what's the structure for your story list and things? Sure. So, so as the nature of this job, I've, I've purchased and tried OmniFocus and things and, and, um, you know, different task managers. And, and I'm curious about all, it's a lot of them. Indeed. I'm, I'm curious about all of them. I don't want to try all of them. Um, but for some reason, things has been what fits with me. And, and that was a Mark Herman recommendation a long, long time ago, like, two versions ago. Um, and it just kind of fits with me. Um, and, and there's a lot of similarities between things and OmniFocus, you know, it's just different approaches to the same problem, I guess. And, um, but, but the idea of the, the inbox just being like a, um, kind of a junk drawer of ideas. I put a lot of things there. Um, I, I rely on the today section. So, if, you know, if, 
Um, there's a story that I know will come up. It's got a deadline or something. I can I can schedule it a day before to come up in in the inbox in, in the today view. Um, a lot of times I'll get emails that I know are stories, and so it's kind of a to do list item. And so I'll forward it to my things address, and then that puts it in the inbox and things. And I can then assign it to a certain day, so the day before the embargo lifts, for example. Um, and then I do have, uh, I guess they call them areas of responsibility and I've got things like family for personal stuff, um, hobbies and then, and then work and within work, I've got, um, story ideas, reviews, uh, podcasts, just all the things that can kind of become their own, you know, big enough to have a, a header and then have their own topics within. Um, I don't do a lot of stuff that's like multi-step projects, but it's just having one, one place for, you know, uh, all my ideas. And eventually I got to a point where I, I relied on things. Like if I lost my things database, I would feel like I lost, you know, something of value. I, I, w- I wouldn't quite know what to do next. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a good task manager. I mean, it, it's there to be your offloaded brain. Um, and then you, uh, you mentioned earlier also Pixelmator Pro. Is that the, uh, what do you use that for? So for 9 to 5 Mac, our top image that you see is a certain format. It needs to be 2 to 1 ratio or 16 by 9 ratio and at least 1,000 pixels wide and have a certain height to it. Um, but then also not be like a, a super heavy file. So um, usually I'll, I'll, I'll mock up an image or I'll take a screenshot and I'll, and I'll drop it onto the Pixelmator Pro icon, which then opens it up so I can edit it. And um, a lot of times all I'm doing is just cropping it and I've got a preset crop ratio of, of two to one that I just call nine to five. And then I, um, I think I do like just command E to export it as the last export in the last export location. And so it, it's an 80% JPEG so that it's smaller than what it was. And it's a JPEG and not, not too large. Um, and that goes to my downloads folder, which is on the dock next to the trash can. And then that goes right into WordPress, you know, drag it and drop it. Um, and I've gotten, you know, by necessity, pretty fast at taking a, an image and, and running that process. When I first started in 95 Mac, we could put like groups of images as the lead image, and it was really flexible. But I guess as our design changed, we had new rules. Um, and, and it's always like a few more steps with each new design. But with Pixelmator Pro, you know, I've gotten a, a good routine of, of getting the right, you know, image that way. Yeah, I, I, they're a sometimes sponsor on the show, so full disclosure. But I, I am a big fan of Pixelmator since they, I remember when they first announced the app. Um, the uh, was just, I was always looking for something that is not as heavy as, you know, some of the more traditional image editing apps. The Adobe stuff was just always too heavy for me. And this, this app just scratched the right itch for me. And I, I love that they're just for Mac. So, you know, they, you know, it's built around the user interface that I would expect on a Mac. Right. And I don't think I've got anything Adobe installed anymore. Um, one of our editors, Michael Steber, he's our creative editor. He does a lot of graphics work for us. He's the Adobe expert. But to me, it's just all over my head and it's way more than I need. And with Pixelmator, you know, back to the first version, it was comfortable and not overwhelming. Um, and something I haven't mentioned is I also use Preview on the Mac a lot for image editing, whether it's to get the right, you know, shape of the image. A lot of times I'll screenshot an image. I'll do the color picker to pick the background and make that the background to preview itself, not the photo, but the the window. And then I've got like a fake border of, of the image and I can make it a 16 by nine, even if it's a square and, and have it color matched and look like it, you know, it's supposed to be that way. Um, and that's just, you know, preview is a super light app. 
it's so light it's built in uh, but i can do a lot of stuff with that you know with, with layering and, and getting rid of borders with the magic erase tool um preview and pixel Matter pro both are in my dock all the time yeah the uh one of the most common tools i use almost daily it feels like that i think a lot of people don't even realize exist is color matching on the mac so anytime you're picking a color uh there's a little eye drop there I guess it's what is it supposed to be a drop. Is it supposed to be an eye drop? I don't know what the heck it's supposed to be. It looks like an well, eye drop. Well, it's it's like a sampler. It's it's like a it's kind of the reverse of an eyedropper because you're like sucking the color up. Yeah. Well, whatever. So you just take it and you put it over whatever it is that you want to match the color for, and it just it's done. And I don't think a lot of people know that's there. Yeah, that that kind of a tool is in a lot of places. If if you can find it, like even on Instagram, um, I'll post on Instagram stories. You know, just just for fun. And you can pick the color of your text. And I, I post my Apple Watch activity rings a lot to just kind of share that I'm, I'm on, on goal. And I'll make the text the color of the ring. So I'll have like three lines of text. And I'll use the color picker on Instagram, which is the same one on preview. And I'll pick the color of the activity rings exactly for the text that I'm writing. Um, that kind of thing is really useful in the Mac even. Um, one example, uh, um, when TechCrunch published their piece about Apple Maps, Matthew Panzerino had a really good lead image for that. That was like, this is what the new maps looks like for Apple Maps, a side-by-side comparison. And, you know, w- with credit, we we use an image, but it was a square and it was a certain color. And so I needed it to be a 16 by 9 rectangle. And so I sc- you know, screenshot the image, open it in preview, make the preview window wider than it needs to be, and then color match the preview window background to that, like, it was like an aqua color or something. And then I've got, it looks like that was the original image, you know, and I, I screenshot that as a new image and then I run it through Pixelmator Pro. And it's like, you know, maybe a dozen steps or so, but it, it's really lightning fast because it's routine now. I do the same thing even with some, when I screencast a product. A lot of times if there is background, I don't leave it black. I just, I, draw, I pull a color out of the product icon, you know, and it just, it's just nice that way. But, you know, the, the, th- the thing about this is like this color picker and even like, taking this back to Adobe, the problem with Adobe is a lot of times they opt out of that stuff where they say, no, we can do it better. Um, I've got like this uh, script I, I I put on the internet like 10 years ago and it's like still everybody uses it. It's the uh, command P to print to PDF trick, you know. But occasionally I get emails from people saying it doesn't work for me and they send me a screenshot and it's an Adobe save dialog box because Adobe wrote their own save dialog box for some other. So I don't even know which version or what it is, but it, it's not going to work because they, they opted out. And that's the kind of stuff that, that I don't really want to get hung up on, you know, on the Mac. I don't want to, I don't, if somebody's going to rewrite how to save a file, I just feel like they're making it too hard for me. Yeah. No, thanks. This episode of Mac power users is brought to you in part by the Omni group. You can learn more by heading over to omnigroup.com. I want to talk to you about Omni outliner whether it's the new Omni Outliner version 5 or Omni Outliner 3 for iOS. The Omni Group is your one-stop shop for creating perfect outlines both on iOS and Mac. They give you productive apps that will allow you to create outlines using smart columns, custom styles, templates, scriptability options, and a whole lot more. 
And with these newest versions of Omni Outliner, Omni has completely rethought the way that outlines work, and it's never been easier to get started. So with Omni Outliner versions 5, they give you a brand new essentials mode, which means you can get into Omni Outliner for just as little as $9.99 or $4.99 if you're upgrading from a previous version. The essentials model includes features like document syncing, a distraction-free writing mode, typewriter mode, the ability to export your outlines into Microsoft Word, uh, and a whole lot more. If you want to upgrade to the pro version, then you can get access to powerful features like Omni Automation, custom themes and templates, and a full outline style control password encryption, attachments, audio recording. But the good news here is you can get started very easily and then decide to upgrade later if you need it. And of course, what you write on the Mac, you also may want to continue over on iOS. And that's where Omni Outliner version 3 for iOS comes in. Again, you can get started with an Essentials version on iOS for just $9.99, and you can download a free trial on the App Store. Version 3 on iOS comes with essential versions like drag and drop, document syncing, beautiful themes, keyword filtering, and a whole lot more. And again, when you're ready, you can also upgrade to Pro. You can sync your documents seamlessly with Omni Outliner for Mac and iOS using their free document sync service. And you can try everything before you buy it by heading over to the App Store and downloading a free trial of either of these versions of Omni Outliner. When you decide to buy, just simply complete your purchase through the in-app purchase. It's never been simpler. You can learn more about all these products by heading over to omnigroup.com. And when you buy, please let them know that Mac Power users sent you. So Zach, what kind of, are you using any kind of um, tools to help you automate your writing process? I know you do a lot of that in the, in the web browser, but what about actually when it comes to getting words on the page? Oh, totally. Uh, Text Expander is an app I bought years ago, probably from like a Mac Power user's recommendation or, or some other podcast. And it is an app that I cannot imagine living without anymore. So I've got tons of snippets that I just look at my behavior of like, what am I typing over and over and over? Or what do I need to copy and paste every time because I don't even remember what I'm supposed to type. And I'll make a snippet for it. Um, one example is for both of our podcasts, the show notes format is the same. The only thing that changes is the mp3 url the the description of that episode and the topics the links everything else is is the same uh and and so i've got two snippets one for each show and i just type in the numbers 925d for 9 to 5 mac daily and then that's my template that i fill out and the same thing for happy hour i do 925h and then there's my happy hour template and it's it, it's so useful like on on uh, on nine to five Mac Daily, once a week Bradley Chambers is on to talk about education, and once a week Trevor Dowdery is on to talk about nine to five toys deals. And so for the host section, for example, every template that I fill out automatically has both of them, and then I remove one. The, you know, if they're then on the show, I move both of them, or I move one of them as needed. And it's just so I don't have to go out and like look up how to spell their names or their Twitter handle, and it just saves me so much time. Um, another example is when I look for, for stories that are relevant to what I'm writing now, I'll try to include a lot of context about, around the news and I'll look up, you know, I know we read about this before. What's the fastest way to get to that story? So I do a Google search for site colon nine to five Mac.com space topic. And I type in S nine in Google and then there's that site part. And so I just type in S nine and then the topic and I can find every story that's relevant to that and quickly put it on my clipboard. Um, another example, <laughs> names like Luca Maestri and Angela Arns. I don't remember how to spell those regularly. 
Um, and so that's, that's Apple's retail chief and Apple's finance chief. And I know the old names. And so I type in new and the old name and then it populates with, with the correct spelling of the, of the right names. So I've got maybe like 50 tech snippets that are become second nature to my job. And if tech spender is like turned off for some reason, uh, I, I need to get it working again because I rely on it these days. Um, a more advanced, I guess, a more advanced level of that is like e even with the the podcast show names, um, whether it's for the episode title or the file, I want to give those a unique name that isn't like you know Happy Hour version, you know, Take Eleven, like some some hard to, to recognize name. So I do um, Nine to Five Mac Happy Hour, and then the date, and, and so I use um, semicolon D for the date in numerals format, or semicolon capital D for the date spelled out. And for 95 Mac Daily, the date is the name of the episode because there's a, a weekday episode each, each weekday. Um, and I used to type it in and sometimes I get the date wrong and like make a mistake. And so now I just use text spender and I'm, I'm never getting the date wrong anymore. So it's really useful. Have you tried some of the ones where you insert, like uh, you have it prompt you to insert uh, a name as well? I use that for uh, naming files all the time where you can have it only put in the date 95 Mac, but maybe uh, a slot to insert the name of the guest or the topic of the show. Yeah, I might have to get into that. I'm really cautious on automation. Like, I, I feel like I can get over my head really fast. And so I, I kind of work from finding that I've got a routine and just getting monotonous and I want to make it feel like it's automatic, have the computer work for me. And so as I find that I've got a need, then I'm like, huh, there's a way to do this faster. And I mean, I used Texas Spender for years without doing the date trick. And it was only this year when we started doing a daily podcast that I felt like I needed it. And so I was like, I know there's something you can do with this. And, you know, we're looking it up and like, oh, that's it. It's really easy. Um, and there's, there's probably way more I can get out of it that I haven't discovered yet. But it's just kind of finding like, what am I doing over and over? What is our friction point? And then how can I make that, you know, smooth again? Yeah. I mean, every time I talk about this on the show, I get the email saying, you know, you got to do the math as to how long is it <laughs> going to take to figure that out versus how much time are you going to save? But, but I always say, you know, for me, I actually enjoy doing that stuff. It's almost like a hobby if that it's, it's it's sad, I know, but it's true. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and, and then I get to share it on the blog or the podcast or whatever. So I I get more mileage on it than most people would. But the um, but th there is something to that. I mean, if you see yourself doing something more than once, especially if you're primarily using a Mac, uh, because the the automation tools on Mac are are amazing. You know, I'm I'm gonna get you into keyboard maestro Zach before you come back. We're you're gonna be like a keyboard maestro monster. I, I, I've, I foresee that. Yeah. That's the next thing. Uh, what about, and I see, so you've talked a bit about, um, that you record a daily podcast and a weekly podcast. What, what's your gear for that? Um, so for years we've used the road podcaster microphone, both me and Benjamin Mayo have, have those. And you're on it right now, right? And Indy, I'm on it right now. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we used it for years just as is with like third party stands. Um, last, last year I, I decided I didn't want like an arm that I could connect to my desk. And so I've got the road arm um, and the little thing that holds it and the, and the little cover over it. Um, but that's been my mic for years. And, you know, you hear podcast mic reviews and, and what's, what's better than the other. Um, this has been fine for us for, for a long, long time. Um, and then in, in terms of the other end of that microphone, it's always the Mac, you know, we, we plug in right to the Mac uh, over USB. We, we um, I guess it's another version of the road mic that that's, that's not USB. And I think you guys use that, but I've, I've never gotten that, that advanced. I'm not sure what, the, you know, um, it was something I, I would, I would benefit from, 
But just having USB, like plugging in directly to the MacBook, for example, is really convenient. I have headphones wired into the microphone itself um, that I use. And these are like Beats, Ear Beats is what they're called. And um, I used to use like, on-ear headphones, whether they're from Bose or whoever. And we, we, you know, our podcast listeners will complain if there's any anything in the audio that needs to be fixed. They'll, they'll let us know. And we had a lot of issues with, with bleed and, and like my audio coming into the microphone through my co-host recording. And these are the, the headphones that I found. They're like in-ear. So they, you know, the, the audio doesn't spill out very much. Um, it, we've had pretty good luck with, with this this arrangement. And then on the Mac side, we used to record with QuickTime because it's built into the Mac and you can record your audio locally that way. Um, but we started using Piezo, uh, I guess, last year. And then there's some benefits of that, like how you name the file and the way you can see, you know, the recording progress and the recording levels. It's pretty handy. And then we record over Skype. We're thinking about maybe FaceTime in the future, especially with, with group FaceTime coming later this year. But right now we just, we, we do the Skype thing, you know, and uh, it's kind of like Skype roulette where it's different every week, but we figure it out and we make it work. We use Skype call recorder um, on both ends of the call so that we've got our local audio through Piezo and then the call as a backup for both me and Benjamin Mayo. So if one of us loses the audio, which has happened, then we can fall back to the, the call recorder file. Um, and then from there, I, I edit the podcast in Logic Pro 10. Benjamin gives me the file over Slack. We used to use Dropbox. We used a shared folder. But then one day I got the idea that I didn't want to use Dropbox at all on my Mac anymore. I just wanted to use the iCloud Drive. And right now there's no iCloud Drive shared folders. So if we, for a while, Benjamin would send me a Dropbox link, which works. Um, but then I, I realized that if I use Slack, uh, it's one less click for me. And so by request, I say, can you use Slack now? And he, he, he does that, even though I think it's like one more click for him. That's a, that's a power move there, Zach. I know <laughs> if he wants to edit the podcast, then he can, he can choose his method. Um, uh, but then I take, this is, I think I got this trick from Jason Snell, which is use the call recorder file as a reference to line up the audio. And so I take the call recorder file, which is spits out two files, my end and, and, and then Benjamin's end recorded from Skype. And I put that into logic. And then I put our, our, our local recordings in and I line it up because you can graphically see the audio. And so I can zoom way in and line it up so that I'm not looking for like a clap or a, or a time stamp. I'm, I'm like physically looking at the way the wave looks and there's a peak there and there's a peak there so I can line it up and then zoom way out. And it's perfect. Like it sounds when you play it back with all four tracks, like there's, um, you know, like it is, there's two, two files of each, each side. Then I remove the Skype call recorder part and it's just our local audio. And for years we were doing a three, two, one clap. And when I heard about this trick from Jason Snell, we stopped clapping at all. <laughs> we just use Skype call recorder now. And and it's so helpful for me to be able to, to like not look, because even with the clap, it's, it's can be hard to be perfect. Yeah. The clap doesn't work. This, this is the dirty secret. Indeed. Yeah. It, it's kind of an estimate really. Um, but that, that, that trick, has worked wonders for me. And I just feel so reassured that I'm actually doing it right. Not just guessing. Um, I add in, uh, in the last few episodes at, at listeners request, I add in um, chapter markers and then give those names. I export the file. Uh, I think as uh, some, some weird file format. It's not MP3 though. It goes through levelator, which is a 32 bit app. that has been long discontinued and will not work on the next version of Mac OS. 
but that's what I use for equalization to get our, our sounds the same level. Um, put it back into Logic and then export it once more with, with the chapters attached to that because level later removes the chapter markers. And, and I'm muting every other track at that point. It's just the one, one audio file. And then I, I put that into Forecast and Forecast honors the chapter markers. It has the artwork, the show name, description, and I can export that as an MP3, encode that as an MP3. And then I drag that file right into WordPress because last year our developers, 10up, um, built custom podcast hosting features for us in WordPress. We used to use Squarespace. We used a few other services in the past, but our publisher, Seth, wanted to take, you know, our, what we're already hosting our website on and also host podcasts that way. And 10up was able to take long deprecated features for WordPress that they were not supporting anymore and kind of rebuild them from scratch. And then they shared that with their other clients. But I've got a box that I check that says, if this is a post with this box checked, then it's this podcast. Um, and, it, and we can do multi-podcast. So we started with just one. Now it's as easy as making a new post to make a new like podcast feed. Um, and the only thing we're doing external in terms of podcast hosting is um, not even hosting, but just stats is uh, FeedBurner, which is about as bad as using as Levelator. You know, it's it's yeah, always I was been thinking that's kind of a, a a nice combination. You know, indeed. Um, but we use that just to see how many subscribers each each show has um, and get stats from. And and when I started using that in 2013, it was expected to be going away soon. In 2018, it's still here. <laughs> so um, I thought it was gone. To say the truth. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and then Levelator. I mean, uh, what's that Winston Churchill uh, quote? Never have so many owed so much to so few. <laughs> <laughs> Levelator is the uh, the reason that so many podcasts for many years were were leveled at all. Right, right. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen to the. I guess once it it's deprecated and everything goes sixty four bit, there's going to be a bunch of podcasts out there where one host is a lot louder than the other one. Right. And, and I've tried using other tools. Like I've got um, another decent style recommendation is, is Isotope. Um, the thing is Isotope RX6 Audio Editor. Uh, I purchased that. I think it was like $300. And they've got a, I think that's what he uses. And I've just not figured it out yet. I, I've bought it. I've made the investment and, and I've dabbled around with it. But until Levelator goes away, I don't have to use it. And, and I've tried it and I've just not gotten the same results where if I don't use Levelator, people will complain that, that the audio sounds wrong. Um, so come the next version of macOS, when 64-bit apps are the only thing that will run on macOS, I'll, I'll need a replacement, and that'll be a challenge in the future. Well, there are a lot of um, higher-end tools that you can get to do that. I mean, certainly nothing nothing is free and as, uh, as easy as, as Levelator, but I promise you, David and my audios are, are not nearly level and um, are... Uh, uh, our, our good buddy Mark Miles uh, works wonders on it every every single week. Right, right. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog. It doesn't matter because Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of those things. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it all covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. And trust me, I know because I use Squarespace. 
They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I've been using Squarespace for Max Sparky and for my legal website for a long time now, but the thing I'd like to recommend you think about with Squarespace is not only your own websites, but for websites of other people. If you are going to be helping somebody out, and if you're listening to this show, you probably are that guy or that gal that helps people out with stuff like this. The next time someone wants help building a website, send them over to Squarespace. With Squarespace, you really get what they say on the box. It is an all-in-one solution. And people who aren't normally comfortable with computers and web stuff are usually just fine running their own Squarespace website. You want to change the font, you click a box. You want to move a margin, you just click and drag. Everything is done so simply that people who are not normally web developers feel completely comfortable working it. I've turned a lot of non-geek friends onto Squarespace over the years, and they've all stuck with it. Best of all, Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com MPU. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the Mac Power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you, Squarespace, for all of your support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Um, So, Zach, I know that you are into fitness. Uh, Rumor has it that we might see a new Apple Watch in uh, in the next week or so. But has this always been a fascination for you? Is this something that um, you've gotten into with the Apple Watch? How did this all come about? So I'm, I'm kind of like my friend Kyle Seth Gray that you guys may know from Twitter, um, where both of us have in common that neither of us were into fitness growing up. And we were actually kind of like anti-fitness and, and like activity. And with the Apple Watch, we kind of discover this um, hidden world of measuring your health and improving it because you can put a number on it. Um, and when the first Apple Watch came out, I used it for about 10 months before I decided I'm going to start filling the activity rings. And at a certain point, I kind of wanted to get in better shape. And I had an elliptical that I bought and never used. And it's like, as part of my job, I'm going to start writing about the Apple Watch activity features and the workout tracking and the health features just to have something new to write about that I haven't done before. And so I started activity tracking with the Apple Watch and filling the activity rings and kind of getting addicted to that. And a coworker of mine, Chance Miller, recommended um, with dieting the MyFitnessPal app which is not like the most attractive way to count calories and, and, and what you eat and everything. Um, there's like better looking apps out there, but it's what stuck with me the most. Yeah. The, t- the two big ones in this category, I think were my fitness pal and, and lose it. If you're like truly just tracking cal- calories and that type of thing. Right. And they've got a, a big database of scan the barcode. There's your, there's your meal, you know what you've got. And, and it syncs back to the Apple health app. So then your health app just gets really populated with all kind of new nutritional information. Um, but I started doing that and over the span of a year, um, lost a good bit of weight. I went from 210 to 145 and, wow. <laughs> right. And, uh, felt, you know, like I was a different person, of course. And, um, and kind of wrote about this experience along the way before I, before I got there, I, I was writing about, you know, the experience and, uh, which was, which was motivational because it was sharing it with the world and, and, um, on New Year's Eve a couple of years ago, I, I published kind of the, the most like sharing thing about all of this, most intimate thing about all of this. And it was a story about how um, 
you know, people always have New Year's resolutions. It's very popular. And then it, it's also very common to, to kind of fall off the, the wagon after a few days. And my experience had started um, at the end of March the previous year. And and the whole thing was, this is kind of how I've gotten into this 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 habit. And it doesn't have to be New Year's, but it can be. Um, but then th- these are the this is the advice that I've got after the whole experience and sharing the the apps and the tools that I've used to, to do you know the, the the weight loss thing, and it was all about the Apple Watch. Like without being able to count my activity, I, I cannot imagine going for a run. But now I love to go for a run, and, and if I didn't have my watch, like if I lost it, I, I'd be more informed about, about running. But I just don't see the same joy in it. It's really the watch that that glues this whole thing together for me. Um, and that story, um, I published it on New Year's Day, just kind of as a, as a, as a theme. Um, and then I went for a run with a friend uh, on New Year's morning. And when I got back from that run, after being offline for, you know, uh, I guess an hour or so, I, I came back to Twitter and it was, it was very popular on Twitter for one, like all these congratulations and, and, and things. And then the next thing was uh, Phil Schiller had tweeted it. And it was the first time that Apple, the company, had kind of acknowledged um, 9 to 5 Mac in a way that was positive. What well, was that after Mark Gurman left? It was, a, it was a few months after Mark Gurman had left. <laughs> yeah, just, just curious. <laughs> yeah, just for context. And um, Jay Blonick had also tweeted it later in the day, which he, he's the um, ex-Nike fitness band, fuel band kind of guy that works on the Apple Watch. Yeah, the fitness guy. Yeah, Indeed. And, and I was... I was excited about the Schiller tweet, and but then Jay Blonick tweeting it was just like the icing on the cake because one of the things with the watch that got me motivated was the very first introduction video where they show workout tracking, and Jay Blonick narrates it and appears in the video, and I still look at that video again as like instructions for how to use this watch to work out and like get motivated. Um, and, and since then, like a- after I, I got to 140, um, I kind of felt invincible. <laughs> like I can eat whatever now, and I don't have to exercise every day. And it's taken me a while to find a balance of like how much is enough and not keep losing weight, but staying active. And I just find that like keeping the routine up really, you know, I can eat more now that I'm not trying to lose weight, but the same level of activity, filling my rings, it's just so fulfilling that, you know, it's, it's changed my life in a major way. Yeah. You know, I need to lose weight and I'm good at filling the rings, but I'm not so good at the tracking my calories things lately. I have to get better at that. But I I, I do understand what you say though. Like even like just this morning, I had a lot going on today. I knew I had to record the show. I had some stuff for the day job, but you know, I'm thinking, well, this will be the day I take the morning off because I, I'm usually walking, swimming or doing something every morning. And I'm like, but then you look at your streak and you're like, I can't stop, you know? And then you find time to do it. It, it really does. Uh, it, for a certain personality, that really works. Yeah, that's right. Um, and that's what I try to put in my story was what I what I did. You, you probably can't copy and paste it and apply it to your life. Like, and I don't want to be the person that goes around saying, you know, prescribing the Apple Watch to everyone that wants to be in better shape because you know it's just like like. It, with any solution, people have their ideas of what, what works, but it doesn't fit everybody. But I, all I can say is what worked for me. And maybe people can adjust what they do based on that. Um, but even for myself, like after I got out of the habit, I, uh, I had a newborn son last uh, August in 2017. And just like my whole schedule changed. Um, I, I had a, a three-year-old at the time, but having a newborn took away a lot of my free time. And so I just kind of got off the habit. And then getting back into it, I thought you know, maybe I can just work out some days and not count calories and just eat 
based on, you know, what I, what I know is the right thing to do. But I, I found that for me, I've got to be all in on it or else I'm just not into it at all. So it's different to everybody though. So what are your favorite features of the Apple watch for, for tracking your fitness? So with each new version of the watch, there's like new capabilities of what you can do with fitness. With the first watch, all I did was indoor exercises. I had an elliptical at home and I would make time to use it, you know, so I could, I could fill my rings. And with the next watch, the series two, they added GPS. And so for the first time you could go for an outdoor run and map where you ran and get better estimates for the calories and distance without your iPhone. With the series Three, they added LTE. And so suddenly you could leave your iPhone behind and stream music um, and be online, like share your location with family for safety. And it, it was it was great. Like when my my son was almost born, I would still bring my phone on runs because I didn't want to miss that call. Like if he was on the way. Um, but with the Series 3, it's like, you know, there's always something new about the watch every year that I can apply to fitness. So I, I didn't run before the Series 2. I just did the elliptical. With the Series 2, I kind of learned how to run from scratch using the Nike Run Club app. Um, then I got into running 5K races, then 10K races. Then I ran my first half marathon. I've not yet ran a full marathon, but I'm, I'm proud of my 13.1 mile run that I completed. Yeah, that's, and, a, few, and, that's a few steps. Yeah, and, and I, I owe it all to the watch, like being able to have my AirPods and listen to my music. And now I can use Siri and like change the track something that's not even in my library and requested over, over Siri, over LTE with Apple music. It's like, I'm so comfortable running because I'm like surrounded by tech to put a number on what I'm doing. And I'm kind of just like in my zone that, you know, I'm really excited about the new watch and like what else it can offer in this space. Because I feel like every year there's a new feature about the watch that lets me learn something new about, you know, activity and fitness. Yeah. We're going to cover iOS 12 in next week's episode. But I can tell you one spoiler is that, yeah, I've been running the betas and going out every morning and doing a hike with just your AirPods and your watch on and listening to a podcast. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. You're going to love it. So what are you doing um, with your Apple watch? That's not fitness related. It sounds like the fitness components have been huge for you. Um, but otherwise, are you using your Apple watch for other things? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I put it on the moment I wake up and it's the last thing I take off at the end of the day. Um, I don't use it for sleep tracking yet. And I know that there's, there's routines you can make where you take a shower, you charge it, but I don't want to miss a minute of being awake with my watch off. Like I, I just cannot do it anymore. Um, and, and it's because I want to capture all that data, but I also use it for, you know, the big thing notifications. If an alert comes in, like my phone hasn't made a sound in years since the watch came out because they all go to my watch. And I do keep the sound on because I find that the taps don't quite affect me the way that, that I would want them to. Um, so I'm, I'm big on knowing what sound means, what, like that's a, a fitness alert with activity sharing, or that's a text message or an email. Um, but it, it's tuned enough. I don't get too many. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's a big for alerts for me. And then the other big thing is Siri, like the watch with Siri, um, you know, you can use from, from the beginning, you can raise your wrist, say the word, Hey, then say the word Siri and then summon Siri on the watch. Um, with the series three, they added voice reply, like Siri finally has a voice. So it's more responsive, you know, and, and replying back to you. And, um, and now with watch OS five, they've added where you just say Siri, like you raise your wrist and you don't even need to say Siri. You can just say, um, message poll and what the message is. And it sends it without even saying, Hey, or Siri. Um, and I've got a lot of home kit stuff as part of my job. I'm very interested in home kit. 
and I get sent a lot of stuff to review and I buy a lot of stuff out of pocket. And so every room in my home has something home kit related. And so the watch is the controller for that. Um, I've got a combination of home pods and echoes for smart home control too, but that's mostly for everyone else in the home. But for me, the watch is like my, my Siri input and it's my home kit controller. You know? I use Siri with the, uh, the home kit. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. I use home kit primarily with Siri. I'm not using the, uh, the home kit app, all of that much on the watch. Are you using the home kit app on the watch to like set scenes? Or are you doing that mostly by voice? I use the HomeKit app on the watch to test uh, how fast the watch has gotten year over year. That's about it. Um, the way the watch app works is it's only your favorited items that appear there. So it's got to be you know marked as favorite on page one of the Home app, and then it's in the watch app. Um, but it's also very slow for me. Like the rest of the watch has gotten way faster in recent years. But the Home app, I guess something about it, it's just very intensive. And so it, it takes everything a while for everything to load in and then to tap it or, or you know force press it and, and get to a control it's just way slower than using voice for me. So the home app, <laughs> I just, I check in with it every now and then. I'm glad it's there. It's a nice, nice thought, but it's not quite where I need it to be to actually to use it. Um, I, I do use the home app on the iPhone uh, and, and a lot of with Control Center. And then now on the Mac with Mac OS uh, Mojave and, and beta, but on the watch, just voice for the most part. Well, and let's take a minute to talk a little bit about what you're doing with HomeKit. We've talked about that a, a lot on on past episodes. You know, a lot of people are doing things with with smart lighting and and smart plugs. What have, how have you got your home decked out? So I, I recently started a column on Nine to Five Mac called HomeKit Weekly, where every Wednesday I'll write about something HomeKit related. And I did that because I just had a backlog of things that were being sent to me that were HomeKit that I needed to review, and I've also just got ideas of how people can use the home app and Siri automation and scenes to, to get a better experience with HomeKit. That's not obvious. It, it comes from experience. Um, so, so HomeKit Weekly is where I kind of share my thoughts on that. But I, I've got every light in the home is HomeKit, um, inside and outside. I've got sensors in all the rooms for the temperature in the room. I've got a sensor on the front porch for what the weather is outside. So I can ask Siri, what's the outside weather and get like a hyperlocal weather report of, of temperature and humidity. Um, the most recent thing I've got was was shades for the office, and that's a really cool thing. They're expensive, so I can't do every window, but just having my main window that I interact with and being able to open it with, with voice and automation is useful. Uh, now, which vendor did you go with for that? It's 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 uh, the Lutron Serena shades, so they're really expensive ones. <laughs> but. I looked at that, but I, I was budgeted out. So so how do you how do you automate those? I mean, do you have it like open automatically at a certain time, or what do you do? Yeah, so I'm not using a whole lot of automations, but I, I do use those with the blinds or the shades, which is every morning at 8 a.m. I start working in the office, and so the shades open at 8 a.m. And then I, I want them, I don't want them to close during a podcast recording, so I don't close them at 4 whenever I finish work, but I do close them at 10 if they're open. And and the the open automation is set to only weekday, so Monday through Friday at 8 a.m., and if I'm home, only from home. If I'm not at home, which is based on my iPhone location, then like say I'm away for work for a trip, they won't open. But they'll always close at 10 p.m. because if they're open at night, then we go to bed. We want them to be closed. The other automation I do is every night at sunset local time, the lights outside turn on and then they turn off at 10 p.m. And if they're turned back on, they turn off at sunrise as well. And, and that's something that's so simple to do in the home app and, and with, you know, a couple, you can do like cheap Philips Hue bulbs or affordable Philips Hue bulbs. They're not cheap, but they're affordable. Um, 
or you can 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 get into Lutron. I, I like Lutron the most for indoors because you can replace the wall switch, but I don't mess with the light switch on the outside lights very often, so I'm okay with using Hue there. But we've got like maybe six outdoor lights around the house, and having all of them come on at the same time at local sunset time is really neat. And um, and then also during the daytime, I'll look around at my neighbor's house, and they have like their lights on at the daytime outside, and I just want to turn them off so bad because I can do mine that way. Uh, and it just seems wasteful to have them on in the daytime. So it, I'm, I'm, it's neat being able to do it with mine. Yeah, we just, the other night, uh, my sister-in-law had to come by our house to pick something up. And we weren't home. She said, I'm going to go by the house. And they have our key, you know, it's family. I said, that's fine. I said, she says, well, where is it going to be? I'm going to say, it's going to be in the room that's lit up. Yeah. <laughs> and so when she got here, the, the light in the stairway was in, the light in the office was on. So she knew exactly where to go. <laughs> and, I, you know, I could have told her. But, but I, I, you know, I'm a nerd, so I had to do it this way. But the fact that you you can turn your lights on from, you know, another country is pretty fun. Oh, definitely. We've got HomeKit cameras. We've got five throughout the house. Um, There's a few. I bought the first one, which was from D-Link called the Omna 180. And I don't recommend that one, but it was the first one. So it was the first one I bought and tested. But I've gotten really into the Logitech Circle 2s that work with HomeKit. If, if they're plugged in and wired to power, um, they've got a wireless version, but HomeKit doesn't support wireless yet, I guess for security reasons. But the wired version, I found that it's easy to deploy. They're under 200 bucks, I guess. And um, it's, it's just neat to have like um, a, a camera that shows up in the home app alongside all your other stuff. No, I, I think that's really cool, but they are, compared to the uh, competition, they're actually quite expensive. Yeah, I think they're like 179 or so, and so you can find cheaper cameras, um, but sometimes you can get a deal on them. I mean, like follow 9 5 Toys, for example, and, and look for a deal, um, but what, what I do is I've got a HomeKit garage door opener, which, you know, um, you can open and close the garage and, and kind of replace your clicker with that, um, and so it took me some time to trust it, though, and so I could check and see... You know, home the home app says the garage is closed, but is it really? And so I've got a camera facing it from from the kitchen window. You can see the garage, and um, there haven't been any any home kit doorbells yet. That category has been difficult um, to put together. But I've got a, uh, one of the cameras facing through the glass on the front door on the front door, so I can see like if people are there. Um, I can't talk to them that way through home through the home app. Um, but at every point of my house that's an entrance, I can, I can see uh, through the home app, which is neat to do. Now with the largest circle cameras, cause I, I know there's really not much competition for that for, if you're looking for a home kit based camera, do they have a service where you can like keep a recording? Like, you know, um, like if, like one of the things, most of the camera services have like a week or a month that they'll retain recording. So if someone breaks in, you can go back and look at the recording from that time. I don't, I haven't looked into the Logitech, uh, options. They do, and you subscribe to it monthly, and that part of the experience goes through Logitech's app, not home, not the home app, and it's because home, you know, home app doesn't support it yet. Um, but the, the, there's four HomeKit cameras now. There's the the D-Link Omna. There's Logic Circle Two from Logitech. There's uh, one that I use in my in my son's room as like a, a baby monitor, but um, I forget the maker of that. But it looks like a bunny rabbit. And then there's also an outdoor one from Natatmo. That you that is is also a light, so it's called like the Tatmo Presence. Um, but there's, there's only four so far. You know, Canary's been saying for years that they're going to make one soon. Um, I, I think the problem with with companies like Canary the, and and then the doorbell vendors like August not making these yet is 
they like they, they understandably want to charge for things like motion detection and then recording after that um, with a subscription fee. So sell you the camera and then sell you a subscription every month for features. And the home app gives away stuff like that, like motion detection is just built into the, into HomeKit. So I think there's um, like a business uh, disagreement there that that needs to be worked out before we we see more HomeKit cameras in the doorbell category at all. Yeah, I, it makes me sad though because I I'm fully invested in Canary. I I wish they were in HomeKit. I mean, silly. Yeah, I've got one, but I, I don't I don't actively use it just because I'm I'm so into HomeKit and and I like that experience. Um, no, I get it. Yeah, with with the Logic Circle twos, another thing I do that isn't HomeKit necessarily is um, I've got a few of the the Amazon Echo Spot uh, little little. I guess they're they're smart speakers, but they're the circle screen camera, you know, video things, and you can talk to the voices in there, and then summon the video feed uh, of from the Logic Circle Twos, and and it's it's kind of funny because it's like a cropped rectangle in a circle, so it's very small, but there's nothing quite like it, you know. Um, and then also with HomeKit, you can use um, the Apple TV, not built in, but there's an app. Um, I forget the name of it right now, but it's by a developer named Aaron Pierce probably like home cam and you can view all of your cameras at the same time live in motion. So in the home app, they're all still shots until you tap into them and like watch the feed live. But with, I think it's called home cam. You can see like all four, for example, in motion, like, like a big security view, you know, works on the iPad as well. It's really neat. Send me that app when you find it. Cause we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. That's, I didn't even know that existed. So what, what is the thing that HomeKit doesn't do that you wish it did? Oh, uh, I mean this, this year, the big change with HomeKit is that they have a Mac app and that's a big deal. You know, it, it's neat to be able to access this stuff from the Mac. Um, but I mean, the big thing is just more automation triggers. So there's, there's all kinds of things that you, you'd want to be able to do that you can't do in the home app. Like, if the temperature from a sensor reaches a certain degree, then activate the the thermostat, you know, put it in motion. Um, you can do a lot of this stuff in the vendor's apps. Like I use Ecobee as my thermostat, but you can't do it in the home app necessarily. You can even do that in a third-party HomeKit app, but not in Apple's home app. It's part of the API, but not exposed in the home app. So just more automations, more trigger points for that. Um, anything with, with HomePod and AirPlay 2 speakers, because right now, you can't do things like automate um, the radio on Apple Music, you know, a playlist on, for example. And like the parts are there for it, but it's not quite connected yet. And I think we'll get there, but we're not there yet, though. Well, it, they've made a lot of progress and and suddenly we're getting a lot more third party products for it. I, I'm, I'm sure part of that is because they allow you to have a software encryption now, which I think lowers the bar for a lot of people. But the. Uh, but I feel like we're, we just did a whole show on it a few weeks ago. Uh, so I don't want to go over all that ground again, but I do feel like we're kind of at an inflection point for HomeKit and it's, it's really getting useful. Yeah. The, the last thing I'll mention for HomeKit is a pain point that people have, which is you, you have all these smart accessories in one app and you can use Siri with them. And so you don't need to have a bunch of other apps that you use and have to learn, but you still need those apps to update the firmware for those accessories. And so I've got a whole folder of called remote. It's just the apps for the different vendors. And there's like 20 in there. Um, and you've got to have those to update firmware. And the home app will even tell you that there's new firmware, but you can't update the accessories from the home app. You've got to open the vendors app. And I hear from people all the time that they want to be able to do the, the firmware update in the home app. And, and that'd be nice. So a lot of times I'll find that I've got a firmware update and the vendor app has logged me out. And so I've need, I need to log back in to even update the firmware 
on the on the accessory I've been controlling for months in the home app. So yeah, the other day I caught myself updating the firmware on the door sensor to my garage. So I was in essence updating the firmware in my door, <laughs> and I, I didn't want to think about it too long. I just closed my eyes and thought happy thoughts. <laughs> I'm, I'm a nerd. I feel good about firmware updates. I feel like I'm getting new stuff for free. <laughs> This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by 1Password. You can learn more and save on a 1Password membership by heading over to onepasswordcom MPU. So 1Password helps keep you safe online by making sure that you're using strong, secure passwords across all of your websites. It also helps you store all of your sensitive information in a locked vault that only you have access to. And you can make sure that you always have access to your stuff because it's safely secured behind your 1Password and syncs across all of your multiple devices, whether that be on Mac, whether it be on iOS, whether it be on Windows, or whether it be on Android. And 1Password has a whole lot of ways to help keep you safe. One of my favorites being their Watchtower feature. Watchtower is always looking over you. It's like the 1Password folks are just sitting high atop, looking down, making sure that your entire password world is safe. Now, it will do fun things like let you know when maybe you've gotten into a bad habit of using the same password multiple times. It will let you know when you've got a password that you haven't updated in a while. And one of the newer features to Watchtower is Watchtower takes a look at Troy Hunt's pwned password databases. This database contains passwords and email addresses that have been pwned, which means they've been stolen following a security breach and have subsequently found their way into the wild, wild west of the internet. 1Password integrates this database securely so it knows when a password has been compromised and as a result, it can warn you if your password has been compromised. 1Password is also constantly updating their list of of websites that have been compromised. So if a website that you've used has been compromised, you'll get a big old banner from 1Password letting you know that. And we all know that phishing schemes are becoming more and more prevalent and the phishers are getting a whole lot better at impersonating websites that pretend to look a lot like the websites that we visit frequently. 1Password can keep you safe there because if you accidentally click on a link that you shouldn't thinking that it's one that you normally click on, 1Password won't let you fill in the password because it knows. You can learn more about 1Password, all of the great features, and sign up for a 1Password account by heading over to onepasswordcom MPU. And thanks to the fine folks at 1Password for their continued support of the show. All right, Zach, I have a problem. Uh, we released an episode. We spent all this time talking about what the name would be. And then 9to5Mac announces the name is absolutely iPhone XS. Yeah, prob- probably pronounced 10S. Yeah, uh, <laughs> unless they, they self-correct this year and do the right thing and say 10 or X. But uh, yeah, we, we recorded our 9to5Mac Happy Hour podcast on, on last Wednesday. And we released it on Thursday just so I have time to edit and get it out there and not go crazy. Um and and we got it out there like at 11 a.m. local, and we even predicted in the show that the next day the event would be announced, and we said probably at X time, and it was correct, and I feel good about that. And then a few hours later, we discover the iPhone XS image and oh, name. Wait, wait a second. I have to say something before we go on. If you're listening to the show and you're the kind of person that would never peek at your Christmas presents, <laughs> you may want to skip forward about 10 minutes. Okay. Well, we'll have chapter markers, so just yeah, skip to the next one. It's fine. Okay. The, the classic spoiler horn. Yeah. Um, but we found the iPhone XS name and, and the image, and the fact that there would be gold, and the fact that there'd be two sizes, um, and 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 we found the Apple Watch Series Four, what it looks like, um, 
And, and by that time, our podcast had been out for a few hours and we had a segment where we discussed the, the iPhone names and I, I introduced it as I don't want to talk about this for too much because it's always something that you, you're not thinking about. But then we spent 20 minutes discussing it and I went back to listen to it to see if like we were right. And one thing I said was it's not going to be 10 ass. Well, I think we both agreed me and me and Benjamin Mayo. So we, we outdated ourselves, too. So and, and don't now tell me if I'm uh, tromping on any trade secrets. But the way you guys found this was some very clever sleuthing on the Internet. Um and you found some images. Sure. So um, it kind of dates back to last fall. Um, I was watching a, a movie with my family on a Friday night, and, and we got a tip in our tips inbox that um, uh, iOS 11 GM was, was available for us to look at. And um, and we we tried it out. We found um, like the Apple Watch Series 3, the way it looked and everything, with the red dot and and, uh, and you watch face with LTE signal uh, dots for like LTE. So we, we got some, some good things there, but I knew that we, we hit a roadblock pretty soon on, we can't get much more out of this. And all summer, Stephen wait, wait, Johnson. Wait. So you, you got a tip that the, that the, the GM was available or the, the final beta was available. We, we were sent a, a URL that was a download link to the iOS 11 GM before that iPhone event. And this was the version that Apple was holding back until after the event because it had all the secrets in it. Oh, okay. All right. So so from like Friday night uh, around 8 p.m. to like 4 a.m., we were working on that. Um, I realized that I, we hit a roadblock early on on what we could do. And all summer, Stephen Trout Smith and Guy Rambo had been unpacking the HomePod firmware that had all this information in it. So we knew that they could dig through the software better than we could. They have, they, they have the knowledge and tools. Sure. Those guys, I, why Apple doesn't just call each one of those and say, how much for you to work for us? <laughs> I know. So I, you know, leading the team, I, I DM'd both of those guys separately and said, Hey, we have this. I'll share it with you. If you agree to work with us on it and, and don't share anything that isn't already on the site, you know, and, and link to it if you tweet it out. And, um, Stephen T.S. was like, no thanks. And Guy Rambo was like, let's get on a phone call together. So we did. And um, he hopped in. We, we, I learned how to make a guest in Slack without exposing our whole Slack team to him. Um, and we worked for a few hours. And then Stephen Charlton Smith's curiosity peaked. And he said, let's do this too. So we worked over iMessage. And those guys helped us find an emoji early, the iPhone X. Um, lot, name, lots of different. We just didn't know how to say it yet. But lots and lots of things that were revealed before the event. Um, a few months later, um, we gave Guy Rambo a position on 95 Mac, which is just like hang out with us, and as things come up, share it with us first, you know. And he was happy, you know. He he said sure thing, and so he's been on our team since before last spring. And after the event was announced, he was poking around, and basically. There's one version of this that, that, that people think, which is that, that he found a video feed of Apple, like showing everything early, like a test feed. And that was that was incorrect. Like he found a test feed, but that's not where this stuff came from. He was uh, manipulating URLs and there's a recap page from last year that we could adjust in a certain way. And um, he found the iPhone XS. He said in Slack, I found the iPhone XS and it was just so casual. And we were already hyped that the event was official and everything. We we're excited about that. But then there was this like bombshell, which is here it is. And the team started spamming the URL with every keyword possible, um, changing it. And, and one of the team members found the watch. And so then we knew that we had two stories on our hands. And, um, you know, we, we shared what we knew in a way that was, um, this is firm, this is what we know, uh, but, but not really giving it away in detail because, you know, 
we didn't want it to go away. Eventually the, the URLs all broke and Apple got smart, but yeah, it, sure. Yeah. I, I don't think you're going to see that next year. Yeah. But it was, it was another example of something that, that never should have been on a public URL that was, um, you know, and, but then it's, you can't, you can't think it's fake though, because it's from Apple officially. <laughs> well, okay. So, so you've, we've opened some presents then. So you're, if you go to the nine to five Mac website, we're going to put links to the specific articles. They've got a really cool image of a, a new watch uh, with a bigger screen. And then they've also got the, uh, the two iPhone uh, tens. I, I don't know what, you know, who, whatever, you know, I, I guess 10, 10 S's. Um, and we don't have any, it doesn't really give us any idea what the size is, but I mean, based on all the other rumors that are getting out, it looks like it's going to be one that's about the same size of the current one plus one that's a little, little bigger. Yeah. That's, that's the benefit of, of being able to cover the news every day like this is reading all the analyst reports and all the journalistic reports and, and, and kind of knowing what sources have what weight to them. And, you know, Ming-Chi Kuo is, is the big supply chain analyst that gets so much of this stuff right. And so we can take what he says and what Mark says over at Bloomberg and kind of mix it all together and, and see with what we know. And then we can predict things like the 5.8-inch, you know, version 2 and then the new 6.5-inch OLED. Um, and, and there's still a mystery of, like, that in-between size of the 6.1-inch the LCD version. Um, and, and I kind of like these these spoilers that are not the whole thing. Like even even with the watch, we're asking ourselves: Is that gold aluminum or gold steel? Is that thinner or a different angle? Like all these questions, you know. Is there another new watch face? Like, <laughs> is that a is that a standard Apple Watch strap attached to it, or is it like a new connector? I mean, you really, I mean, the the changes could be so small that it, you wouldn't know from just looking at a picture. Yeah, and, and we do hear from a few readers who are like, "You guys just spoil everything." Like. I didn't, I didn't want that. It's like, why are you reading that if I Mac in yeah, the first place? Why are you place? reading it? Yeah. 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 Um, the, um, but interestingly, uh, you guys didn't find anything about a new iPad or new Macs. Yeah. There, there's some obvious stuff that we think we would have seen uh, if it were happening. So, I mean, the guess is kind of that you can probably fill an event with an iPhone and a watch and maybe, you know, some air power if, that, if that's something that exists. Um, but, you know, as Apple has done in the past, there could be an, a separate event in October, you know, for iPad and, and Mac, um, you know, or, or we just could not have found it. But but we, we tried our best and, and we didn't see any evidence that suggests that we'll, we'll see those things yet at, at that event. So maybe. It's funny, you know, the um, with the with the big exception, uh, really last year where they had the leak of that HomePod firmware and then the Gold Master. I mean, usually these leaks come out of the the supply chain or marketing, but you know, and this year it sounds to me like it was out of marketing, really. Yeah, the, the closest thing to this happened several years ago, but it was when the iPad Mini four, uh, or maybe it was the two, but it was one of the iPad Minis from long ago. Um, Apple published the iOS guide for that version early and for iBooks, now Apple Books, and it included an unreleased iPad mini. And I think it was the two because it, it was whichever version had a touch ID, maybe even the three, but whichever version had a touch ID. And we could tell from, from that guide that it, the, that new iPad would have touch ID. And that was like a from Apple kind of a leak. But other than that, yeah, this is kind of a new thing. Um, that we're enjoying, but you know, it, it's not going to last forever. And, and it's, it's probably a, a side effect of the company being so big these days anyway. Yeah. I honestly don't know how they keep anything secret. It's, it is such a big company and there's so many people that work on these products. It, it's amazing. So what are you lo most looking forward to in a couple of days? Are, are you going to the event? 
we're not we're not going this year. We went to the um the iPhone eight slash ten event last year and we went to the the education event in March for the iPad. We went to WWDC. That was my first event to go to. This one, you know, you either get an invitation or you don't. Um, and, and it's not that I, I don't think our relationship with Apple is, is sour because, you know, like I said, I've got a, a review unit of the MacBook Pro, um, but just they've got a certain amount of size and they, they, they can only invite so many people. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the event on, on September the 12th. And, and honestly, it's the watch. It's like we know it's got the bigger screen now. And that can that can mean so many changes. Like we saw the you know way more complications, new complications that haven't existed before. You can put so much information on that screen. And then what else does it do? You know, is there sleep tracking? Is there a better heart rate sensor in some way? There's all these questions that that we don't know yet. And and as passionate about it as I am about the watch, that's the thing I care the most about. Is like that's an instant purchase. And and this year I'm thinking that I might get the, the ceramic edition for the first time. I usually buy stainless steel. But I, I I like the watch so much that I kind of just want to like throw money at it and support it and get and get the the ceramic. So. Yeah, you know we've all spent money on dumber things than a watch. Um, yeah, indeed. The um I I feel like you're right though. I mean with additional screen space, I'm I'm very curious about that. I mean now that you guys have let the cat out of the bag, I mean what does that mean for watch faces? You know, and you know what what can they do with? That? I, I'm a big fan of the Siri watch face. We, we didn't ask earlier. What is your watch face or primary watch face? Usually it, this time right now it's, it's activity digital. The one that shows your rings and the number and then the time with the second flashing. I also use the activity digital or analog, the one with the, the three rings within the time, because then you can fit more complications because you can do the date and then other ones. And I always have the date day of the week or the, or the, the number of the month and then the um, temperature. And then, um, Let's see what else I've got. Uh, my Nike running app, I, I use that to launch it. So, um, yeah, so that, that's the thing I've got. But but I'm really curious about the new watches, the new watch faces. And, you know, it's possible that they could just have the one new watch face and then all the other ones kind of get updated over time or maybe just two new ones. But every watch face is kind of up for grabs for changing this year, I think. Yeah, I mean, with more space, what are they going to do? I Like the one on the leaked image that you had, it looked really cool. I mean, they had text written around the bezel and I mean, it's just like nice. Um, although I really wish Apple would allow third parties to make uh, watch faces, even if they have to go through an Apple filter first. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it would just be nice if we had more choice. This year, the Siri watch face gets the improvement with, with third party apps being able to supply information there. Um, and, and we've not seen through the beta process kind of how that will, will pan out. Um, but they have shown things like, the Nike Running Club app being able to have a tile there for the first time. And I talked with the guys at Things and they're going to work on some stuff for it. So I think that'll be one of the things that, you know, there's always things every year when iOS ships and watchOS ships, you can actually do things that you couldn't do in beta. I think the Siri watch face will be one of those improvements. Yeah, like Siri Siri shortcuts over the HomePod. You know, I mean, there's like, there's all this stuff that I want to do that even though you're in the beta, you're, you're still frozen out of. So the watch is what you're looking for. Now, uh, are you a big phone guy or a small phone guy? I had the iPhone 6 Plus for a few days and returned it. Couldn't handle it. A lot of, a lot of holding babies and, and one-hand use. And, and the next year I said, you know, I, I want a new phone. I'm going to get the bigger one to get a you know, different experience. So I did the, the 6S Plus, and then I had the 7 Plus because I had the dual camera. And then, you know, this year I, I, I have the 10. Um, but, man, I like the smaller phones where they feel. <laughs> I kind of wish the 10 was like the size like the screen size of the eight, but just with a smaller body overall. Um, 
but this year, I don't know. Like, I, I, like I said, I, I'm kind of thinking about just keeping my 10 for another year. It kind of seems like a, a phone that's a thousand dollars, $1,150, you know, maybe you said use it for more than one year, but I do one of those monthly plans where you upgrade every year and turn in your old phone. So it's not a big, big change to just keep going. And if I do upgrade, then I'll be tempted to get the big one. Even if it means I complain about one-handed usage, you know, it's different enough that I want to try it out, I think. Yeah, I know. It's, it's In some ways, I almost regret that you have choice, you know, because <laughs> I can make an argument for either size. Katie usually just buys them both. She, she has an iPhone <laughs> and a day phone. I don't think so. <laughs> All right. Well, Zach, anything else you're really excited about that we should talk about before we let you go? It sounds like a lot of these, uh, these questions are going to be answered uh, pretty soon. Yeah, no, this this was great timing. I mean, me and David met in June and, and, and you guys schedule ahead of time. So this was a happy accident, I think. And, and with our stories on Thursday. Yeah, we, we booked this episode like two or three months ago. Yeah, exactly. Well, Zach, why don't you let people know where they can they can find you? I know we're at 9to5Mac, but give us all of your uh, URLs we can send people to for you. Sure. I'm on Twitter at ApolloZach. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C. No, no K or H or anything. Um, and, and I like when people follow me on Instagram too. I have, I have a lot of Twitter followers and I'm verified, but on, on Instagram, it's on the story. And I, and I really like Instagram these days. So it's like a, a peaceful place. So Apollo is back on Instagram as well. And then on nine to five Mac, you can find my story. Usually there's a recent byline, but you can also go to nine to five Zach, Z-A-C and, and find my author page. It redirects there. Well, Zach, thank you so much for joining us. We will see how much of this comes true in just a few short days. And um, I'm sure that you've got a, a couple of busy days ahead of you, a couple of busy weeks ahead of you, probably. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm a huge Mac Power Users fan for years, and, and it's a real honor to be a guest today. Thank you to our sponsors, Daylight, Omni, Squarespace, 1Password. And you can continue this conversation in our forums at talk.macpoweruser's.com. We will see you all next time. Music.